Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about, all while hanging with your mom friends. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive in. No doubt about it, Barbara Kanan is a fascinating human. A registered drama therapist with the North American Drama Therapy Association and mom to two littles, Barbara holds a master's degree from NYU in drama therapy and a certificate from Kint Institute in the Arts and Trauma Treatment. She specializes in trauma-informed, person-centered care, guiding individuals and groups across treatment settings and cultural organizations during times of big life transitions. Barbara has experience leading therapeutic theater processes for Holocaust survivors. She has provided expressive clinical support for at-risk youth, hospitalized children recovering from medical procedures and their families, individuals living with chronic and persistent mental illness, adults in acute psychosis, and older adults living with skilled nursing and memory care needs. Barbara is a published research scholar, peer review editor, and former professor at Long Island University. She believes that your relationship with yourself and others is an art, one that can be rehearsed and rewoven into experiences for healthier living. Are you ready to take up space, honor your experience, and create the life you really want to live? This episode is for you. Barbara, I'm hey. so glad that you're here. I'm so glad to be here. That's wonderful. I I heard about you from Christy, who met you apparently over cupcakes, which I'm a little bit envious over, but you were at a little girl's birthday party, I guess. <laughs> and you, you sure. both met each other and I'm excited to get to talk to you and learn more about you. Yeah, it was so synchronistic. I, I had been following her health collective for a while, for a long while. So when Chrissy was there, we were surrounded by, yeah, cupcakes, chickens, goats. It was an awesome farm birthday. It was great for a mutual friend. And yeah, it was just so wonderful. I was so thrilled to finally meet you and, and then be connected with you as well. And to be here today, it's just really full circle for me in a lot of ways. And I'm excited. Well, you have such a lovely background that we'll get into and hear all about you. But first, before we get into your professional credentials and all of that good stuff, let's get to know you a little bit. Fill in the blank. Motherhood is. She's pausing a long time, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because it's such a big question. It is. It's the, the biggest question. So when I reflect on it, motherhood is a portal. It is the biggest invitation I've ever had to growth, to like showing up again and again to awaken and grow. So, so that to me is, is motherhood. And it also, I loved this question is the first question because it's actually one of the first exercises we do in groups with moms is offer this STEM motherhood is and allow them to write up on like a big whiteboard or kind of call out what their responses are. And then we, we can take turns reading it aloud as poetry, following any order we want. And yeah, so it's just very resonant with the work that I do. And, but yeah, motherhood is a portal, a portal and an invitation. That answer is wonderful. I agree 100%. It's constantly forcing me, because I can only speak for myself, constantly forcing me to just reevaluate myself and continue to evolve and change. And yes, what what are some of the other things that the other moms have mentioned? Anything Mm -hmm. that sticks out? Yeah, you know what? 
I took a photo of it on the day and I'm going to see now if I can find the board. I, I should have had it pulled up. I knew that by mentioning it, that was going to be asked, which is wonderful because I'm happy to well, share. Well, you're oh, looking yeah. for that. I just want to pause and say that your phrasing an invitation to growth is beautiful. I think everybody should sit and just like, let that sink in for a minute. It, it's just such a beautiful phrasing. You know, it's an invitation. Not all parents are going to take it. It, it's a choice. You might not take it every day. And, you know, growth is challenging. It's a struggle, but it, it can also be such a beautiful thing because you're being invited to it. It's just beautiful phrasing. I just wanted to say that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head with what was resonating with me when I, when I, when that emerged as, as my answer, because it, yeah, we don't always show up for it. Even those of us who are trying our best to show up for the invitation every day, we're going to have those moments of misattunement and, and it's all part of the process, but yeah, thank you. But yeah, so I, I found it. And the answers from our participants were mothering is nurturing myself and others being touched a lot, big, hard, relentless. Mothering is soft, kind, full of understanding, a push and a pull, hard but rewarding. Mothering is hard, soft, so much beauty, sweetness, and needs space for me. Mothering is an awakening, a metamorphosis, the multiverse. Amazing. Yeah. We had some really amazing participants in that group, but so yeah, it's, it's such a big question. It's a beautiful question. It is. Thank you. Yes. Moving on. What do you value most in a friendship? Authenticity. And while I love small talk and banter, so I love play. That's definitely part of it. I would also say deep, expansive conversation. Mm. I love the word expansive. Mm. You're full of great words. <laughs> Thank you. Do you talk a lot <laughs> with your work? Lot, I've seen a lot of theater in my life and read a lot of poetry and write poetry myself. And I guess it comes with the territory. It'll all be downhill from here. Oh, no, 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 no. I think it's going to be amazing. What's the most daring thing you've ever done? This is such a great question. And I, I, it's one that I actually want listeners to pause and feel into that question for themselves too, if they haven't, because I feel like there's such a conditioning around females and around moms to fit into spaces and prescribe to certain systems and, and be a certain way that this question of like, what is the most daring thing you've ever done? As I reflect on it, I, I'm like, wow, I've done a lot of daring things. And so it's a really empowering question. I love it. And yeah, so a lot of different things came to mind, but I, I would say one thing that I, I feel called to share and I want other moms to hear is uh, last December, I went to Costa Rica by myself without anybody for five full days. And it felt super daring because there were two planes I had to take and then a tiny plane of like, which was the third plane that you sit right behind the pilot, you know, and it was raining and, you know, and then driving into the mountains. I took a surf lesson for the first time in my life, like all of these things that felt, you know, I did yoga every day. And it was so daring to ask for that space, right. To go on that vacation in the first place feels daring for us moms. And, and then to go do it, it was just, yeah, radical and awesome. And I, whether it's Costa Rica or a local destination, I just, I want all moms to go do that. Some form of that. It was, it was awesome. Wow. And what gave you the courage to do it? This was just, when was this? You said December? Yeah, last December. I have, so I do have a dear friend who lives there. And uh, so part of the trip, I went to visit her and part of the trip was just solo, me having my own experience. And yeah, I just was feeling the itch, the need to shake things up in my own rhythms and schedule. And yeah, it provided me a real dedicated time to reconnect with myself and replenish myself. And dream again, uh, in terms of 
how I want to continue to move on my path as a mother, as a creative, uh, as a therapist, as a human person. So, so yeah, I think that was the impetus. What a beautiful thing to do. And it is daring to step out of your comfort zone for one, go someplace by yourself where you, well, you said you had a friend there, but where you don't really know anyone. Mm -hmm. And I find that very admirable to actually set up your home in a way that they know you're not going to be there. I mean, that in and of itself takes a lot of energy. And so kudos to you and super ironic, not taking away from your experience being daring. We just spoke to another guest that said the same thing. She went to Costa Rica away from her family. How ironic would it be if you two were at the same the same place in Costa Rica. Yeah, Yeah. that's wild actually. (laughs) I know. And also at the same time, doesn't fully surprise me. Right before I went to Costa Rica, a colleague of mine said they were going to Costa Rica like a couple weeks before me. And then just recently I was in the mountains in North Carolina and I was meeting someone new and we were talking and we realized we were in Costa Rica at the same time. So there's a lot of Costa Rica energy, I feel like, but uh, yeah, that's really wild. I have got to get myself there. It's beautiful. I've it's heard really, good things. Really yeah. What advice would you give your younger self? Love all the parts of yourself more, all the parts of yourself more, and don't shrink yourself for anything or anyone. Take up more space. Oh, I love that. I love it. Don't shrink yourself. I, we try to tell our girls that all the time. And it's just so hard to convey when I myself shrunk myself when I was, you know, you, you do, you try to do anything to fit in. And that's so such a beautiful takeaway to lead us into our, our next question. And I, I mean, I think a lot of women still do as adults. I do. I I shrink myself a lot still. I mean, I'm better and I'm working on it. I have awareness, but I I absolutely think that that is something that is in our space a lot. So, well, it's also conveyed a lot by society that women need to shrink. You know, we can't, I mean, we're told to shrink our bodies and not be so bossy. And if you are, you're a bitch and you know, all of that type of stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Barbara, I had the opportunity to dive into all of this with you before, and it was eye-opening to hear all the ways in which drama therapy can use, because you are a registered drama therapist, and while I knew a little bit, I mean, you can kind of imagine what it might be, but at the same time, I and many of our listeners likely are kind of like, drama therapy? What, what is that? It might be a completely new concept. So if you could very briefly tell us what is drama therapy and what might a drama therapy session look like? Yeah. I love this question because so often when people find out I'm a registered drama therapist, they'll say, is that drum, is that therapy for actors? And I'll say it can be, and it's also therapy for anybody. So any, any space that uh, traditional therapy is taking place in drama therapy also can take place in. And in many cases does as it's more and more been accepted by the medical model and integrated into the medical model. So it's under the umbrella of expressive arts therapy. If you've heard of music therapy, art therapy, dance movement therapy. Now there's also horticulture therapy, Uh, you know, so many different kinds. Drama therapy falls under that creative umbrella. And it's, let me start with something hopefully more simple. So if anyone has heard of Shakespeare's line, all the world's a stage and us men and women are merely players. And in our life we play, this is paraphrasing obviously, but we play many different roles. And so a drama therapist's worldview Well, first of all, our training is psychoanalytic, psychodynamic, just as any other therapist's training is. And it also takes into consideration this worldview that if we are performing in our own stories, when we come into disorder or uh, bump up against some dysfunction, 
it's typically because we are stuck in one role. We are playing one role way too often and we've lost our access to the other roles that are in us. So we're either stuck in one role and or we are stuck in one narrative. There's a story or a few stories that we are telling ourselves over and over and over again that we believe because we've told ourselves that so much. And so a drama therapist comes in with the psychoanalytic training and the psychodynamic training with the artistic and creative training around storytelling, story making, play, metaphor, body language, to start to disrupt those stories, to disrupt those narratives that have become maladaptive, and to help a person, what, I, what we like to say is expand their role repertoire, so remember all those other roles that they know how to play and begin to talk about if it's just a, a session where we're talking or play with if it's a session where we're up on our feet and, and playing a little bit either with a scene from an existing text or a, uh, maybe some dialogue uh, that we wrote together ourselves with expanding their roles and playing different roles and playing different stories. So it's embodied, it's active, it's experiential. It provides a container. Stories provide us with a container to move through experiences. So whether we're working with your own story in a more under-distanced way, or whether we're working with a script from a movie or a song or a poem or an art piece that we're looking at in a more distanced way, we are able to provide creative access points into your experience and how you want to transform your experience. When we're playing a role, so if we are reading a scene together or reading a story together, we are projecting. It's the same when you go to the movies or when you go see a show, you watch a scene and you're so moved by it, you feel yourself getting upset or getting angry or feeling love, whatever it may be. It's the same thing in a drama therapy session. It, when we are looking at a script together or, or acting something out together, by playing a character, it's a little bit safer sometimes to step into the experience of that character's life because it's not my material, it's, it's the character going through this. And so I can more easily step into that and play that. And through playing not me, I am working out everything that is me. I am, this is fascinating. And I'm very interested to know in your experience, if a certain type of person is more drawn to drama therapy, like, do you tend to get more patients that are create a creative type and, or are extroverts more drawn to this? And I say that because I can see extroverts being drawn to it, but I can also see it being very beneficial to someone that's more introverted because it is more of a safe space to step outside and play a different role, you know, in a context with someone that is, is safe and welcoming of, of that. But I'm just interested to know if you see a certain type of clientele again and again, show up for this type of uh, therapy. Yes, absolutely. And it's such a good point. Yes, because these sessions are where you can rehearse, you can try being different people, different versions of yourself. And again, even in just talk therapy, we can talk about what that might look like, right? Like there's so many different ways to approach it. But I would say, no, there isn't just one type of person, the extroverted person that comes forward for these sessions. And what I love, about, you know, there, there's clients that I've worked with who are actually quite academic and quite intellectual. Um, and once we're, once we start reading a script together or listening to a piece of music together, they're like blown away by how much it opens up in them and, and so warmed up to the process. And I think the reason why it does work for so many different people is because it's not like I, as a drama therapist are going, okay, session one up on your feet, let's go lights up. Like it's not, it's not, you know, putting someone in that kind of a position, 
we're sitting down, we're having a conversation, we're building our relationship. That's the center of any good therapy process is the relationship. And so through that relationship, we're cultivating a safe enough space to begin to play at the edges of what feels comfortable and uncomfortable. And as we're playing with what feels comfortable and uncomfortable in session, that begins to have ripple effects to your life and how you start to play at your edges in everyday life between sessions and, and where the change can begin to occur. One other example or one example, I think that kind of uh, speaks to your question, sometimes in group, we'll start with, okay, let's all go around and just do a sound and movement for how you're feeling in this moment. And some people, some of the extroverted ones will be very, you know, big and gestural and make a nice big sound. And then once in a while, and quite often we'll have a person go, oh, and what we'll do as a group, because we reflect it back to them, each person, the whole group will go, Oh, and that's that person sound and movement. We meet them where they are. We meet them where they are. So, sure. yeah. And that's so important in, in therapy in general. I'm interested to know how you wound up pursuing this line of work. Was there a specific event in your youth that pushed you down the path of choosing drama and or therapy? Like, were you in high school? Were you in the drama department. Your body <laughs> to talk about words. I, I am. I, I guess I would be one of those ones. I don't consider myself an extrovert, but I am prone to big and loud movements. So <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, I think I came out of the womb with a lot of this. Um, it's just like who I was when I entered into the world. I was always performing, getting family together and making plays, you know, at bedtime, instead of asking for books, I would often ask my, my loved ones to tell me stories, like tell me stories about your childhood. So I've, I've always just had a, a great interest in stories, a great interest in people. And whenever I went to see a play or whenever I was in one, I always felt the most connected to the human experience. And so that's what I thought I was going to pursue. I thought I was going to pursue theater making and ultimately directing, which is what I transitioned into in college. And I was directing um, and an associate directing off Broadway in downtown Manhattan, working on new plays. And so I think that's a through line that that led me uh, toward drama therapy. My father is a doctor. My mother was a nurse. So I think healthcare and caring for people was also integrated um, from a young age. And I would say also, I grew up with a chronic illness. And so between my parents working in healthcare and then my own healthcare needs from a young age, I've just always been really sensitive to other people's experiences and wanting to be with people, connect them, help people feel connected to themselves, to each other and bring positive change. I have never heard of this type of therapy and like Chrissy said, I find it fascinating. I'm such a huge supporter of therapy. I've been in therapy for years and years and years and years. And as you're talking about this, I'm like, I think this might be fun <laughs> to do this. Yeah. Especially when you said that we all tell ourselves a story about something. And we live in that story because I've talked to my therapist about that. She's like, how is that serving you by saying that? And I have to just sit with it and feel it and say, well, and just dive really deep in how the story that I am telling myself about something, how that's still serving me. And a lot of times it's through protection. I mean, yeah. we do a lot to to protect ourselves and survival, belonging, trying to find a way to belong and have people accept you. Yeah. So what you're doing is amazing. I, as you're talking, I can see my daughters and just be like, wow, I can see them just being great at this. Do you do a lot of child therapy? I have. Yeah. And I, I, that's the other thing people ask, like what age group? So just to drop in here then in response, I've worked with children as young as five years old, all the way to end of life 
people who are at the end of their lives. Uh, I've worked in a skilled nursing home with older adults, uh, living with skilled nursing and memory care needs, with children, with adolescents uh, who've been suspended from school for gang-related violence and other issues, with young adults transitioning out of high school or out of college. It, it really is expansive, the, um, the amount of people that I've worked with and, and what their needs are. Yeah. yeah. Well, while thinking about uh, working with youth, if you are helping them young, there's a possibility that you could interrupt, I guess, in a way, the stories that they're starting to formulate. Would that be an accurate thing to say? Yeah, I would say not even in a way. I would say you, you are. There's the total opportunity to directly, I mean, that's early intervention those neural pathways are so plastic in those first few years of life that this is why stories are so powerful because they can help rewire us as grown-ups, and then yeah even more so as children for sure sure I guess I said that because I find through my sessions that I have to go back into my youth and yes. high school middle you know all of that to think of where the particular story began and then how it evolved from there. So, wow. Yeah. Inner child work is so, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to. No, no, no. Perfect. Go ahead. Inner child work. Yeah. Inner child work, which it sounds like is something you're engaging in and is something I've engaged in and, and help clients engage in. It's so powerful. It's really important. I think it speaks to your, uh, very wise and beautiful question of, you know, what advice do you have for your younger self? And, you know, there's so, there's more and more evidence and research that points to early childhood experiences having direct correlation to how we function or not function as grownups and the stories we tell ourselves as grownups. So yeah, that early intervention of working with children can be so powerful to help ameliorate some of the stories that might be developing or some of the patterns that might be developing that might lead to more maladaptive ways of feeling about oneself or uh, behaving in the world and relating in the world. This episode is sponsored by Her Circle, the supportive and welcoming community for moms created by Her Health Collective. Her Circle is a welcoming and supportive community for moms who are passionate about making change for themselves, their families, the community, and the world. Together, this village of women are revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. From an active, private online community and the incredible daily chats hosted there, to our many virtual gatherings, including support groups, Moms Night Out, volunteer opportunities, book club, family adventures, coffee chats, and so much more. We love providing moms the chance to connect and create authentic relationships with one another. The network of experts in her circle are a phenomenal resource and provide great learning experiences for moms on topics ranging from women's health to parenting. We cover the issues that matter to moms the most, from virtual expert Q&As to one-on-one wellness minute consultations and support groups. We are committed to getting moms in front of the information, experts, and support they need most. To learn more about Her Circle, head to www.herhealthcollective.com slash her dash circle. We have a limited number of spaces and the doors only open a few times a year. So be sure to add your name to the no obligation waitlist so you are the first to know when the doors officially reopen. You also are very passionate about helping moms, helping moms navigate motherhood. And we've talked a little bit with you in the past about the pressure to quote unquote, mom the right way. I am so guilty of this. I I have to say that, that I feel like that's a vocabulary word I need to just take out is the right (laughs) or right. You know, it's so disorienting. Well, but I think you're in really good company there. I like, that's why I feel so passionate about it. I think 
I'd be surprised if any, if there was like one listener even that was like, nope, I never feel guilty. I always feel like I'm doing it the right way. Like, oh my I think gosh. It's so in our culture. <laughs> right. Right. I think we're all trying to be the best mom that we can be. But if you put quotes around that, the best mom, it can be a really slippery slope because it, it leads us into this just self-criticism, self-deprecating self-talk that can just be so detrimental to our mental health. When we last spoke to you, we talked about the idea that you have about quote unquote moms rewilding. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah. (sighs) I think our society is so removed from anything wild. So I think we forget that we are wild, that we are nature. We are not separate from nature. We are, we are nature. We are connected to the earth. We are the earth. And we used to live this way. We used to live in villages. Um, You know, it takes a village came from somewhere because we used to live in villages and we used to be in relationship with ourselves in a deeper way, with the earth in a deeper way and with each other in a deeper way. And so with moms rewilding, I'm really called to help moms look and, and, uh, and feel inward. There is so much noise in, in this space around how to be the, the perfect mom that we forget there is no such thing. And that actually rupture is important because it allows us to repair, uh, which makes the relationship even more connected than it was before. And that we have these inner resources that we forget to tap into. We keep going externally to all the experts and forget that we are our own experts in a lot of ways. And so that is what rewilding means to me. It really means there's no one size fits all. We're all different culturally, ethnically, sexuality, gender expression, you know, age, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what would it look like if we all just tune back into our own hearts and our own frequencies? Um, Because no one knows our kids the way we know our kids. And so we outsource. And instead of outsourcing, I really want to help mamas insource, go inwards and, and look to the cycles of nature too, as wise reminders for the cycles of motherhood, um, that it's not always going to feel one way. It's going to have cycles to it and that's okay. So it's about living that, living that creatively, living that in a connected way and cultivating that growth mindset and that, that yeah, that creative and resilient mindset on this, on this path. This speaks so, so loudly to me and it's all intertwined. So we just spoke about how things in our youth can influence us. And basically if early intervention can help you almost do some of that rewiring. Right. But then we've also gone into how There is just so much bombarding us about how to parent and getting away from that authentic part of ourselves, Mm -hmm. because that that's what happens with me is that I'm so scared of messing my kids up that I, (laughs) I just grab books and I'm like, oh, okay, we need to let them feel their feelings. And I just get overwhelmed by all of this information that I just start swirling. How can a mom who feels like she's lost that authentic voice, get back in touch with that wild and neat mom that's inside? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many ways. And so I really encourage the listeners to hear some of my examples. And if there are any that resonate, beautiful, go do them. And if there are any that are like, "Mm, that's not me, great, don't do them, do something else Um, that works for you. But I guess first and foremost, I would say cultivating a, a deeper relationship with mindfulness. You know, when you're heating up your water to make your tea, taking a moment to remember the waters of the earth how lucky we are to have water, how sacred water is, pouring it into, you know, over the tea or, or the coffee and smelling it, 
and feeling gratitude for what's about to nourish you for the nourishment you're already getting from pouring it into into the mug. You know, something my my daughters and I do sometimes is go outside in the morning and um, and dance barefoot in the grass and and dance dance good morning to the trees and good morning to the sun and just finding ways to feel your connection um, physically with the earth and spiritually, you know, however you practice with the earth and the cosmos as it were. So putting on a song in the middle of your day and just dancing to it and really feeling your body move to it, moving how your body wants to move. That takes two minutes and it can shift your whole energy, sometimes less than two minutes, depending on the song. You could light a candle at night and write a letter to your heart or write a letter to your inner child and then flip the page over or use your non-dominant hand and start writing back from the voice of the inner child or from the voice of your heart and let that dialogue flow back and forth and see what emerges. I'd say find a community of other mothers who are interested in walking this path of authenticity and rewilding and dare to take up more space together and to witness one another, ask for more help, get more alone time, go take a walk in the woods. There's so many, so many beautiful ways to open your heart up to rewilding and open your heart back up to yourself. And so I would also say, just like, just play with it. Like if you start doing one thing and you feel like it doesn't work for you, then try something else. You said, dare to take up more space together. I love that. I, my mind immediately was like, Ooh, we should do something with that. <laughs> love, 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 love that. <laughs> you mentioned your, your girls, you're a mother to two young children. And I'm very, very interested to know the parenting. I, I always think therapists as parents are fascinating. <laughs> So I would love to know why, why ever would you think that? <laughs> because you don't mess up your kids. No, never, <laughs> never, never. Haven't you ever seen, what's the movie Meet the Fockers? Isn't Barbara Streisand, isn't she a sex therapist? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good movie too. But I would love to know the ways that you use your training in drama therapy as a parent. And I guess more specifically for the benefit of myself and our listeners. Are there any lessons from drama therapy that you can share that parents can incorporate into their own parenting journey? AKA, how can I use drama therapy with my daughter? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So I, I was reflecting on this question. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to say, I, I feel like I also just want to name that like, I am not a perfect parent. There is no such thing that often as therapists, something that can happen is I've dealt with feelings all day and now I don't have time for anybody else's feelings, right? Like I'm all filled up. So there can be that piece of it too. And so no matter who we are and what our profession is or how we show up in the world outside of our home, I am very much also in my own process of cultivating my mindfulness, cultivating my, you know, inner sourcing and, you know, that's my caveat to what, to what I'm going to share with you in terms of how I integrate drama therapy into parenting. That's appreciated. Yes. (laughs) So integrating is, is all the time. I was thinking even just this morning, my girls wanted to play Everest and Sky and they told me I was Ryder. And so great. I'm Ryder. That's how I show up. By the way, that's Paw Patrol. (laughs) Some of our listeners might not know that. Very true. And thank you. So yeah. And so to me, I guess I I incorporated in when they invite me to play, you know, of course, there are moments where I can't and I and I have to set that boundary. But whenever I can, I do. And so we stayed in role all morning this morning. My eldest even helped my youngest get dressed without my being involved at all. And I think it's because we were in play. We were, they were telling a story. They were excited to be doing that. And so that's one of the greatest lessons I think from drama therapy is that play is such a powerful tool, play, humor, putting on a voice or a character in a certain moment can really just open up so much. And then You know, other examples beyond just that silly one from this morning is getting into uh, so early intervention, the stories that we're telling ourselves. So right now, my eldest, whenever she's experiencing some big fear around trying something new, 
that I have full confidence she can do. I just see that it's her fear getting in her way. I will ask her, and, and now she knows the response. I'll ask her, where does the fear live? And she'll point to her head and I'll say, where is the truth? And she'll tap her heart. And so I'll keep like tapping my heart. So that's the truth. Listen to that. Don't listen to this. So that's a big one. Like it's a very, I think like age appropriate way to get a child to tune into the stories that they are already telling themselves versus what the truth really is. So that that's a big one that we use a lot. And then just to give you uh, like an embodied example, there, there are times when uh, kids have big meltdowns, as we know, and there was some nights in particular where some a, a big meltdown was happening, huge, huge meltdown, and it was rippling between the two of them. And, ooh, I was feeling my own, you know, rage and anger come up during this. And I was like, we got to do something to shift the energy. And so what I did was I, I got my, grabbed my phone and this is where that mindfulness, that daily mindfulness practice that us rewilding mamas can give to ourselves, because in that moment, I could have just lashed out like very easily, but because I had my mindfulness practice strong, you know, during that time, I was able to go, okay, let me breathe. Let me grab my phone. I'm going to get creative. I'm going to put on some chakra music, some chakra balancing music. And then I asked, um, I got down on the floor on all fours with them. And I said, let's all become tigers. And so, you know, all the anger that was in the space started to get transmuted into play. So they all said, let's do a big lion breath. And uh, we were doing these big lion breaths. And then I said, what animal do you want to be next. And then, you know, my eldest chose an, an animal and then my younger one chose a different animal. And we just kept going around and choosing different animals until about an hour later, we were all like basically sloths, just like, you know, snuggling each other and like, you know, resonating in so much love and so much calmness and soothing. That's just an embodied example of how you can put on music and start to like shift the mood into something else. So yeah, I, I use it. I try to use it as much as I can. And and for older kids, how would you incorporate it? My kids are not older right now, so I can't speak to the parenting experience of that. What I can speak from is from my experience in the therapeutic space with older kids. And as we know, with adolescents, there can be an increase in resistance. And so um, my uh, my training and guidance that I've gotten around it. And then my own practice has involved building upon that resistance, expanding that resistance. Oh yeah. You do not want to do this. You don't want to do this right now. Why? Tell me all the reasons why you hate, you know, this thing you have to do or this place you have to go to or whatever. So really just like naming the feeling and inviting all, all the reasons um, why that feeling is there to live. So I think often as, you know, again, I don't have older kids, so I can't speak to the parenting, but in therapy, when we try to shut down the resistance or with my younger kids, when I try to shut down the resistance, it just makes the resistance bigger. So really what I have found works best with older kids is when that anger comes up or when those big feelings come up, yeah, let it, let it, you know, offer it a safe container, but, but let those, those feelings come. Does that make sense? You know, Barbara, I, so former high school teacher, so very familiar with adolescents and teenagers. And I think a lot of the original examples that you gave could also be applied to older children in a way. I mean, you in essence are turning to humor. And mm -hmm. I think especially with adolescents, if th those emotions are running high, anytime you can turn to humor and lighten the situation, they respond to that. And then I think you also, you mentioned building into the resistance. And I think when we can recognize their resistance and then maybe start throwing out our own kind of ridiculous examples of why it would be horrible to go do this thing that they don't yeah. want to go do, or, you know, kind of just playing into their resistance, but adding in that humor, teens, especially like they, they respond to that. They, they really, you know, respond to that kind of 
lightheartedness. And, you know, you mentioned like getting down and acting like animals, obviously you're not going to do that with a teenager, but that's an element of bringing in the humor and the love and just kind of trying to make it more lighthearted. And I think there are ways to do that with our, our teenagers, adolescents that I yeah. think would be pretty huge. Yeah. The um, alternative learning center in the Bronx working with the put at risk youth adolescents who were suspended for gang related violence and other reasons, there was a lot of resistance. And I think, you know, you spoke to it so, so eloquently, just utilizing some dark humor, um, utilizing, you know, naming the feelings that are in the room. And then also saying like, gosh, yeah, nobody wants to be here. <sighs> Being here sucks. If you could be anywhere else right now, where would you be? And then you'll be surprised. Everybody starts answering, well, I would be on vacation here. I'd be, you know, doing this sport, whatever. And then, and then you're, you're flowing. You're, you're, you know, change is already starting to happen. Relationships are already starting to connect again. Yeah. And, you know, your other example too, um, I had this on the, the edge of my mind for a minute and it came back to me because mom brain, <laughs> you, you had mentioned when your younger child is fearful of something and how you would approach having, you know, this is my mind and this is my heart. Yeah, and which who I should just, I listen to? I, I was just going to say, I think that applies to older kids and adults too. That, that kind of like navigating fear because adolescents have so much fear that they're navigating of uncertainties, relationship issues. And, in, in, you know, in high school are huge, like friendships and like that, that's the, the epitome of everything that they're dealing with. So really having them hone in on what is the fear and like don't always listen to your head, focus on what your heart, like, I think that applies across the board. I think I could take that lesson and apply that as an adult. I think that's a very valuable one. Yes. And I do. And say, I do too. And thank you for naming the head and the heart, because I, I couldn't remember whether I did that the first time around when I shared that example for those that are listening and not watching that, you know, she points, yeah, we point to our head when we talk about that fear and the story we're telling ourselves mm -hmm. and our heart when, when we're, we're feeling into the truth. Barbara, really quick, uh, yeah. over the past couple of years, there's been a huge increase in anxiety in children, as well as OCD behaviors. Does the head and the heart, along with, of course, some other therapeutic methods, but would that be good to use for a child that might be on perhaps an anxiety cycle or an OCD spiral or something like that? So... I'm hesitant to say yes in a blanket statement because every child is different, but I would say that inviting children to understand stories and the power of stories and the power of words can definitely begin to disrupt anxious patterning and shift it. So I would say yes with that, with that caveat, whether it's using that exact example of the head and the heart, or whether it's using a story that you're reading together, you know, every, every child is going to have a different way into it, I guess is what I'm saying. Barbara, we always love hearing all the different ways moms who are also very busy professionals approach the elusive work-life balance. And I'm interested to know, I know you just had your Costa Rica trip which sounds like an awesome way to bring some balance into your life. But aside from that, how, I mean, on a daily, you know, how, how do you balance and or integrate? Cause there's of course the, the debate about which is, which is really possible, but how do you balance and or integrate work life with family life? What tips and suggestions do you have for busy moms? Yeah. So this is a really, really personal question. I guess I feel it's really personal because I'm going through a radical shift in how I even approach this question myself. So I'll share, for example, that the first year of my older daughter's life, my firstborn, I worked four part-time jobs uh, because I wanted to, because I liked all of those different opportunities and I didn't want to say no to them. And I was early on in my career. And so to come from that and to be where I am now is quite different because now I'm really devoting all of my energy into reweaving communities and into mothering. And, uh, and then of course my, my life as well I'm outside of those things, but it's never outside of those things. And just as you pointed out, it's all one to me. And so the way that I have been starting to radically shift this for myself, um, I've been reading uh, this book called Her Blood is Gold 
and it's all about the wisdom of our menstrual cycles. And so I've begun to integrate the moon phases and my own menstrual cycle with when I'm taking meetings, when I'm planning meetings, when I'm planning no sessions or no meetings or a decreased amount because it's a new moon, there's less energy that time of the month or I'm bleeding that time of the month and I know that my body needs more rest. I am also just feeling, so for instance, there's a new moon tonight and when, or sorry, a full moon, a big, big full moon, not a new moon, a big full moon. And that is why I said, can we do it on the 13th? When you put forth the different dates ahead of time, I knew, okay, let me look at the calendar. It's on the 13th. There's a big full moon. There's big energy we can harness here in our conversation, just from the energies of that right now. And it's really changing everything for me. I'm questioning, you know, these systems of nine to five and uh, these heteronormative patriarchal systems that we've been born into and conditioned into. And I'm really allowing myself to soften and expand more into following my body's rhythm and the earth's rhythm for what feels the most supportive uh, and when I can be the most energized and do the most work, like what time of the month that is and what time of the week that is, what time of the day that is, it's all cycles. And when I can uh, show up, you know, most fully as a mom and in all of these other, I keep going, I keep swirling my hands for those listening because it's all, it's all cyclical to me. It's, it's really shifting in that way. And it's, it's been feeling so supportive and it's been allowing me to show up that much more in the spaces that I'm in. I love that for our listeners. We have an upcoming episode with Megan Rempel that we just recorded earlier this week. Actually, she is actually the one that went to Costa Rica and had the same comment, but she's an expert on hormones and cycle syncing. So we were just learning a lot about cycle syncing. Great episode. We highly recommend it. And it's something I know I'm, I just got the book she recommended and I'm ready to dive into it. My nutritionist has been telling me that I need to pay more attention and I need to pull back a bit at certain points in my cycle. And it's been really, really hard. I have not yet done it, but I'm, if the awareness is there, so it's the first step, but I'm hearing more and more people talking about the idea of paying attention to your own personal cycle. The moon thing is new to me, but focusing in on your own cycle. I've heard that spoken about quite a bit lately and I'm trying to focus in on, it makes sense. Like if you pay attention to your energy and there, there's a connection to the moon, you know, in that we, our wombs fill up and shed every month and the moon fills up and sheds every month. I believe there is a real connection there. And, and then also just in ancient social, you know, groups, when the full moon was out, that was the best light they had all month. And so there was naturally more energy and more social gatherings. And when the new moon, when it was the new moon, it was darker. And so people stayed inside. It wasn't as safe to travel out. So anyway, there, there's a lot that I'm learning about in my journey as well and integrating it into how I quote unquote balance Um, separate entities of separate in quotes, work and life, and really have been integrating it more and more and awareness. Yes. Is the first, is the first step for sure. Well, and, and just uh, to mention, Megan did also mention the moon that, that was like my first foray into that. She said in particular for people that no longer had their period, that that was like kind of the way to still embrace cycle syncing within their schedule. And now I have all these questions because like you mentioned the full moon, but I'm in my cycle where she called it's winter and I should be like hibernating basically, but you know, anyway, neither here nor there, but there's so much to learn. That's a whole other conversation, which I yes. love to have. Yes. Sure is. Oh my gosh. The moon, it drives the tide. It drives our mood. Oh my goodness. <laughs> anyway, you in your professional background have spent a lot of time and energy working with groups dealing with complex trauma. You've alluded to some of that already in our discussion. You've talked about children that have been suspended from schools, various different gang-related violence, 
people in, or the kids involved in that inpatient psychiatric care for suicidal and homicidal patients. You've also spent extensive time working with Holocaust survivors. And with all of this, you've talked about storytelling and community being very important components to healing. Can you walk us through that? How is storytelling and community healing for someone dealing with such complex trauma beneficial? Yeah. So I brought a few quotes from Judith Herman um, because I love her book and the way she talks about trauma and recovery. And though she herself is not a drama therapist, her research is just a great advocate for drama therapy and for community work. So for instance, one of the things that she wrote is the fundamental stages of recovery are establishing safety, reconstructing the trauma story, and restoring the connection between survivors and their community. And if you think about, um, well, so let me continue actually, let me read the the next quote that I brought because I think it helps explain more too. She says, traumatic bonds destroy the sustaining bonds between individual and community. Those who have survived learn that their sense of self, of worth, of humanity depends upon a feeling of connection to others. The solidarity of a group provides the strongest protection against terror and despair and the strongest antidote to traumatic experience. Trauma isolates, the group recreates a sense of belonging. Trauma shames and and stigmatizes, the group bears witness and affirms. Trauma degrades the victim, the group restores her humanity. And I just wanna let us breathe that in for a minute. Whenever we experience a trauma, it immediately separates us. Our experience immediately becomes separate from everyone. And so in community, in group is where we can begin to, as Judith Herman wrote, reconstruct our trauma story and make new meaning of it. You know, storytelling is is basically what we do all day, every day. We have conversations, we're telling stories. This is how we connect. This is how we're making meaning is in relationship and with stories. And so community could look like a dyad. It could look like an individual session with me in relationship, I am still witnessing your experience. You are still being affirmed in your experience. We are making new meaning as you reconstruct your your trauma story. And in group, that just gets exponentially more profound and powerful because then you are reconnected with community in a bigger way and feeling witnessed, held, validated, supported, in your process. And there's also universality. You have another person in the group who goes, I know that feeling. I have felt that feeling. And then you go, oh my God, I'm not alone. I've been feeling so alone. And it is so powerful to feel that connection. And then within my niche specialty, which we haven't talked about yet, but I create therapeutic theater with clients. That is another offering that I provide which means creating theater with people as the healing uh, treatment, as the healing process. And so then when that ensemble performs, so with the Holocaust survivors for the past several years, I've been creating theater with them about their stories that then gets performed for audiences. So if you think about the power of a dyad in a therapeutic alliance, and then the power of a group in a therapeutic alliance, and then the power of the group performing on a stage for 500 people, the amount of connection that takes place of universality of resonance. I I mean, I'm gonna sound so hokey, but it can change the world. It can really change the world and it can change our communities. So I hope that begins to enlighten everyone a bit about how trauma and drama therapy work together. It sounds like this is so applicable to everyone. I I mean, when I'm saying this, you're using it for various, very serious trauma, complex trauma, Mm -hmm. but it also sounds like it can be used for us dealing with everyday issues, just having 
storytelling and community around us. Is that accurate? Absolutely. I mean, how many, like, I would just ask listeners and ask you both, like how many times a day do we sometimes think to ourselves or feel like, I just want to be seen. Like, I wish someone was looking at all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just looking at like what I am doing right now or, you know, what I'm carrying right now, right? Like we just want to be seen. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be witnessed in our experience. Sometimes that is all we need. We don't need advice sometimes, right? And so drama therapy whether it's sitting and talking and sharing our stories or whether it's up on the stage in therapeutic theater or most recently with the Holocaust survivors during the first year of COVID, I co-directed a documentary, whether it's in film, we just wanna be seen. We just wanna be seen and, and validated in our experience. That is so healing. Mm. Oh, it's so, it's, it's beautiful. And as you're talking, when you keep saying, we just wanna be seen, I'm just thinking about, how over the years I open and close various different parts of myself based on whom I'm with mm -hmm. and just wanting to find someone, of course, my husband, my partner sees all of it, but a friend that I can just be completely open with all parts of myself open. And it's just been this ongoing search to find that openness. I resonate, I resonate so deeply with that. And I, I feel like just speaking to my experience, it, it has felt like, can I be open with all of me? Like, let me just start there. And then as I open up to more and more of me, when I'm in spaces with other people, can I feel into whether this feels safe for me to open in that way? And it's not always the case. And this is one of my main goals with supporting moms in reweaving communities and eventually supporting parents and families and anyone that I work with is, is really just that reweaving communities, creating a space for people to come together and feel safe enough to show up as their full selves and to witness each other's full selves that is so healing. And that, that is definitely my goal. And the other piece of this that I want to name too, is that in drama therapy, we often talk about the importance of playing the unplayable, speaking the unspeakable. And that feels part and parcel of what you're talking about. Like, is this a space where I can speak these unspeakable, these, these things that I feel are unspeakable and I think the more we can create safe containers for ourselves and each other to speak the unspeakable, play the unplayable, the more we're going to play ourselves free and into greater authenticity and greater connection. So, so good. So much to unpack there but unfortunately we're out of time. So, and I feel like you, you already ended on such a high note, but we always like to ask our guests as one final question, what message do you think every mom should hear? Every message I think mom should, every mom should hear is, you know, I hear so many women saying they're not creative. Oh, I'm not, I'm not creative. And I'm like, you made a life. You created a life. You are the most creative. That is the most creative act in the world. So I just want to tell all mamas out there that you are so creative and you are so powerful and so resilient and so much more than you think you are. And so whenever you forget, just remind yourself, remind yourself. Love Thank it. you so much, Barbara. It is such a joy to speak with you every time. I, I like, I let's, let's do this again. This was lovely. Very <laughs> special time with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. It's beautiful. I could talk with Barbara all day. She has so many fascinating experiences and is a wealth of knowledge about human psychology, a topic I have always found inherently fascinating. Although there were many, here are our top three takeaways from our conversation with Barbara today. One, Barbara talked about our worldview, that if we are performing in our own stories, 
when we come into disorder or bump up against some dysfunction, it's typically because we are stuck in one role. We find ourselves playing one role way too often, and we've lost access to the other roles that are in us. So it's as if we are stuck in this one role and or we're stuck in one narrative. There's a story or a few stories that we are telling ourselves over and over and over again. And eventually we believe that storyline to be true because we've repeated the story to ourselves so many times. The magic with drama therapy is in disrupting those stories, disrupting those narratives that have become maladaptive, finding a way to remember all those other roles that we know how to play. Stories provide us with a container to move through our experiences. This part of our conversation got me thinking about the roles that I play and particularly the role I have gotten myself stuck in over time. The narrative that plays repeatedly in my head and all the ways that narrative hinders me from being my most authentic self. I found myself thinking about the ways I might play around with other roles. Because why shouldn't it be fun and expressive to explore other pieces of who we are? Two, Barbara spoke about her views of mothers needing to rewild themselves. She mentioned that our society is so removed from anything wild that we often forget that we ourselves are wild. We are not separate from nature. We are nature. We are connected to the earth. We used to live this way. We used to live in villages and we used to be in relationship with ourselves in a deeper way, with the earth in a deeper way, with each other in a deeper way. And so with this idea of moms rewilding, it is really this idea that moms should look and feel inward. There is so much noise in this space around how to be the perfect mom that we forget there is no such Thing as a perfect mom. We have these inner resources that we forget to tap into. We keep going externally to all the experts and forget that we are our own expert. There is no one size fits all in motherhood. What would it look like if we all just tuned back into our own hearts and our own frequencies? Because no one knows our kids the way we know our kids. And nobody knows ourselves the way we know ourselves. Three, I loved all the practical, tangible tips Barbara shared around getting in touch with ourselves. She suggested cultivating a deeper relationship with mindfulness, focusing on the process of making and drinking your tea, dancing barefoot in the grass with your children in the morning, feeling your connection physically with the earth putting on music and dancing in the middle of the day, really moving your body in the way it wants to move. These are things that can shift your whole energy for the day. She suggested lighting a candle and writing a letter to your heart or to your inner child, and then flipping it over and writing a response from the voice of your inner child or from the voice of your heart and seeing what emerges. She also recommended finding a community of other mothers who are interested in walking this path of authenticity with you. Asking for help, getting more alone time, taking a walk in the woods. There are so many ways to open your heart back up to yourself. Pick the ones that resonate with you and keep experimenting. Not every one of these ideas will work for every person, but keep experimenting until you find something that makes you feel that inner connection. Here's to you, friend, and here's to health, empowerment, and respect for every mom. Bye-bye, friend. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us so you're the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you.